Welcome to Accelerated. I'm your host, Vitaly Golem. On this second season of the podcast, we are hearing from some of the global leaders in everything electric and autonomous, moving us quickly into the future. On this episode, we speak with Michelle Tarid, who I'm humbled to call one of my partners at Drake Star. We discuss his 38-year career at Hertz, where he went from a summer job as a young entry-level clerk to group president. He covered some really interesting topics in connected autonomous shared electric vehicles, smart cities, subscription models and mobility, how smart corporations avoid getting disrupted by startups, and of course, SPACs. Here's our conversation with Michelle. Michelle, thanks for joining us today on the Accelerator podcast. Uh, where do we find you? You're finding me in France in the greater Paris region. I spend my time between Paris, the countryside, and Corsica. I'm sure that's going to make everybody jealous for the summer. So thanks for making the time. Appreciate it. Um, I'm, I'm, gl- I'm excited to have you on board as a, as a new partner at Drakestar as well. And uh, we've been working closely for some months now, so um, I'm excited to talk about your amazing background and uh, talk a little bit about the car sharing and rental economy and, and all those things. So why don't we start at the beginning? You've enjoyed a career journey that's very uncommon these days. Um, what was your first job at Hertz and how did you get started? So we are back in 1980. And my first job at Hearst after university, not really knowing what I would do with my life, uh, in general, I was coming from a family of entrepreneurs and artists, and I was torn between those two sort of uh, fields, if you will. I started at a university as a location manager at Hertz in the south of France in a small private airport at Cannes, Cannes Airport. That's how it started. It was an amazing start. It was a revelation for me. At the time, when you project yourself back in 1980, everything was manual. There was obviously no computer, let alone the web. There was not even a fax machine. It was telex, and I was preparing the rental agreements for the customer with microfiche. At the time, you had to do everything. It was the best way to learn, wash the cars, service the customer, do your local sales, your admin, being like a shopkeeper. It was just wonderful. I had one employee to manage. That's how I learned about managing people. So you started with managing one employee and and over about 38 years of uh, climbing the ladder at Hertz, uh, you ended up in, in a very high position running uh, much of the company. How did you keep your personal development ahead of your growing responsibility uh, as you were growing as a manager and growing your career? A few things. One, it's been, I'd say, mostly learning by doing, having management, management who always believed in some of my capabilities, probably more than I did believe in myself, and setting challenges which I had to rise to. And that's how I really learned. I, I moved quite fast, uh, you know, like 10 years in operation in a business which is very demanding, 10 years in commercial, then really spending the latest 25 years managing countries and then divisions. And I'm talking about challenges because I went through, you know, changes of ownership, major crises, whether it's terrorism, health care, um, the financial crisis. So you've got to step up as a leader, and that's how I learned. I was supported, uh, as I said, and then in the latter year, Hertz became much more focused on people and talent and performance management and, and personal development. So we did use some tools, which I learned a lot, fr- a lot from. We had a lot of team-building sessions because we really wanted to create a high-performance team, 
and you gotta learn how to work with colleagues, take feedback. The other thing I would say, I always worked, uh, you know, very closely with HR. I think HR is a, an extremely important function, whether you're in a tech company or a service company like Hertz. And I learned a lot from HR, always took the feedback and always had this relentless focus on people. And, and, and uh, that's how I, I uh, hopefully, you know, um, get ahead of the curve. So it's a, it's a very quick, you know, couple of minutes on, on, a, on a very long and illustrious career that you had there. But let's, let's look to the future. Um, you know, there are a lot of changes in car rental and car ownership and all those things uh, happening. And a lot of the deals that we're involved in um, are companies that are affecting this change. And there's a very important acronym called CASE, Connected Autonomous Shared and Electric. How impactful do you think this will be? Um, this will be in the near future. I think it is already impactful. So if we, if we take if we break down the acronym by letters, you know, most new cars, in fact, in Europe by law, by law, all cars are connected. Um, so you know, and and connected, and the cars are connected to the drivers, to and more and more to its environment. You can download the data from the car. So that's already almost a fact of life. You have telematic companies. Uh, you have companies who, you know, help you exploit the data. You can do many things. You know where your car is. You, you can't get it stolen. Uh, you can do preventive maintenance. You can measure driver behavior. Those things which are already quite known. So connected is already a fact of life. Autonomous, I think, will be the one which will take the more time, the most time to to get real. And I mean by at least autonomy level five in an urban environment. I think every day we realize that it is more complex than it seems. And even with AI and those fast processing capabilities, it's complex. So that will take time. Shared also, I think, is coming in the habit. Certainly, everybody says in the U.S., when you were a student, the first thing you would buy was the jacket and then was the car, and this is no longer the case. Many, you know, don't even have a driving license. So I think the, the notion of sharing versus owning is getting embedded more and more as the new generation come. And electric... I think now is the start. We've been talking about electric for many years. Uh, you know, we've been work, struggling with standards, the speed of charging, and the, the key impediment, it's still today the, the number of charging stations. But I think that's coming because, of course, there's a big push from governments and municipalities, including in the U.S., uh, you know, with the new administration. So, and, and obviously... Companies and OEMs have invested massively. Um, I think there are still challenges, battery, recycling, secondhand market, but this is coming and, and, and the progress is being made. So I think this is, uh, you know, in urban environments, uh, things accelerate. So I think we already feel the impact and it's going to get faster and faster. And I think the one more thing, maybe, certainly when it comes about connectivity and then, you know, we, we talk about cities which are becoming smart, when everything connects uh, and 5G accelerates this and the Internet of Things, I think we're going to see, um, you know, uh, a smart world which will go actually beyond mobility and, and car ownership. So more specifically, um, you know, Airbnb obviously disrupted the hotel market, and at first there were kind of laughed off you know who would want to uh, share a room 
in their house and now Airbnb is by far the biggest you know hotel group in the world if you want to compare it something similar started happening in in the car rental market with car sharing and companies like Turo um, you know I know you've been away from Hertz for a little while but I'm sure you started feeling the beginnings of it and seeing the beginnings of it how did the car rental market start looking at these car sharing ideas and startups and models right so, so there are many things here I mean I would argue that car sharing and car rental are actually the same thing uh, you know when Hertz start create was created in 1918 actually it was the first car sharing we, we mean by car sharing now the, 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 the possibility to, to, to share a car or to use a car by the hour in an urban environment it's essentially the same which says to me something important that if car rental companies transform and they are they have a great future now, what's coming, we see marketplaces like, you say, Turo, Get Around, uh, you know, Uber to a certain extent. And uh, yes, that is impacting the current, uh, you know, companies. But I think, again, as they transform, they will be able to, to continue leading the, the way there. Because when you think about it, you know, not many companies take car manufacturers take even uber take even you know get around Turo. not many people know how to manage at the same time customers service logistics planning demand you have a whole uh, set of competencies which i think are quite unique to current companies so while today they are indeed disrupted and challenged i think they still have a future as they transform a lot is around tech actually and the, and the, the challenge is for these legacy companies to transform their technology fast enough that they can go do on a global basis you know be uh, up, to, up to date so to speak I'm really excited to share something a long time in the making with you. My first online course. Over the years, I've trained thousands of founders through my book, Accelerated Startup, and my infamous Pitching Like a Boss workshops and keynotes. Like I've done for thousands of founders, I will teach you how to pitch like a boss. And for the first time ever, I will be doing it in a cohort-based online course. This is the world's most comprehensive and intensive course for entrepreneurs and future founders on pitching. It will help you craft the perfect pitch for investors and customers. It will also help you master public speaking. Get funded, communicate your vision to grow your team and dramatically improve sales of any product. Check out golem.net slash pitching. That's G-O-L-O-M-B dot net slash pitching for more information. See you there. Now, same thing is happening, kind of car ownership is changing in general from what we we're, we're, we're seeing and hearing all the time between subscription models and autonomous taxis of kind of, let's say, in five years, maybe 10 years. How will car ownership change? I think subscription, well, it's, there's going to be a set of different uh, alternatives. Uh, there's not one. But certainly, to name a few, car subscription is getting a lot of traction, I think. Uh, it's a sort of flexible leasing, and, uh, and, and that's coming. And, uh, you know, you have a number of companies in the U.S., in Europe, and elsewhere. So I think car subscription is... I know, for example, of a Chinese OEM who is entering in Europe only through subscription. No dealership, no selling cars. It's subscription on actually one model. So that says something to me. Um, you know, car rental company.
companies are also now launching subscriptions. So I think subscription is actually going to be quite a big thing. It's a good alternative to car ownership. Then there is using a transport solution, but it's not going to be just car rental or car sharing. It's going to be a mix of it's what we call mobility as a service, in, a, in essence, where you use the right solution at the right time, depending on your needs. Um, it can be public transport, you know, it can be micro-mobility, scooters, and more and more, I think this is becoming multimodal on an app. And um, and that's the future to me of car ownership. Now that's in uh, in large urban environments. It's still probably not the case in remote areas. It's interesting in in the U.S. in the last twenty years, the uh, percentage of teenagers in high school that have driver's licenses fell by I think about half. So. I think what they want, uh, the killer app, is for them not to have a car, but to actually get get somewhere. <laughs> so they have a lot of options, uh, more than we had. Now, um, now you had this view from the inside, and a lot of companies, a lot of large companies, are realizing that the the cycles are shortening, and they're they're at risk of being disrupted any day now. Um, what should corporate leaders know about the importance of partnering with startups to avoid getting disrupted out of business? What 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 uh, have you seen from your side? Well, I have some experience there because that's what we did when I was at Hertz. I was very actively involved. I I really think that you know it's first thing is as I call it innovation or re-innovation, not incrementalism, but re-innovation, transforming a model, innovating from within is extremely difficult for all the reasons we know. It can be mindset being risk adverse. The governance, you know, needs that one has, um, it's very difficult to, you know, uh, run the core and transform that core at the same time. So that's why I think startups are actually a great way to innovate, to pilot in a non-risky, actually not that expensive manner, because they are just small, agile, nimble, think creatively. And I had personally some great experience working with startups. It's not easy, though, because, you know, I think it's important that there is a real partnership between a startup and, and, and a corporation. There is a question of resource, who mentors or who manages that innovation through startups. Um, there are different formulas. You know, you can have just a startup very opportunistically or tactically. Uh, you can outsource this to an incubator, and then there are different ways to work with incubators. You can have an internal incubator. You can have an external there are different formulas, and I think, you know, many different formulas can work. But I think it's an essential um, tool, so to speak, to, to, to do innovation. Uh, the, the other challenge is once you have a successful pilot, is to scale it. So it's not easy, but I think it is really, uh, really, really essential. And Hertz had some, you know, very good experience. In fact, we did partner, that's a formula, we, we did partner with other players in the automotive space, car manufacturers, you know, uh, tier one companies, car sales companies, car rental companies, it was first in that case. And we did partner together with an incubator and we were very involved in the selection process, acceleration process, 
we were we had the ability to invest in some startups or even co-invest and suddenly do pilots and cross-fertilize our experiences that proved very beneficial to me and i think it's a model that can be replicated any particular success stories any companies that came out of these collaborations yeah, I mean, look, we, 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 we looked at those so-called disruptive technology. I, I can always, I always have one, you know, because it's not just about inventing the future. I believe that you got to transform your core business and, 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 and stretching it to a new model in a way. And I remember we had one which came for 20 years. We didn't know where certain customers would arrive in which terminal in the European airport. And we've been wrestling with that issue. And make it simple of course for you know since that program was created 20 years ago that startup came i remember like yesterday they came to munich airport uh, the CEO was there, the CTO was actually in Israel, and like in eight days, they just found the solution that we couldn't find in 20 years. It was mind-blowing, quite frankly. And from there, that was just a starting point. It was actually an enabler to doing something more. And with then, we were able, and that was an AI-based platform, to, you know, predict demand, allocate supply where you get the best return. And it's very complex. Those are kind of things that when you do them manually it's very suboptimal and you do this with a startup and it's uh, the results are very impressive so in a short period of time actually at quite low cost and you know when you work with them they shape the product to your needs as a corporation everybody wins because they obviously build a product that they can then market to others and that's how they get to these unbelievable valuations sometimes so working with early stage startups it's it's a good thing I think I think you just described the ideal case scenario that a lot of uh, quote unquote innovation managers and big corporations are, are trying to achieve, uh, but it, it's it's much harder than it sounds. It is harder, Vitaly, but you know it's about who uh, the, 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 the I'd say the focus, the resource, and starting from the top is really important. You just can't delegate this. I mean, I was personally involved. I had a very small team. We don't want to do something big, but the, that's how we made it work. And I think they. They really loved working with us as much as we love working with them. And that was a success story, certainly. But yes, it's not simple. Now, moving, moving forward, um, more recently, you decided to reset your career and you took on a number of different advisory roles. Um, and then more, even more recently than that, um, you joined Drakestar as a partner uh, to focus on mobility on our team. Now, what led you to this decision? That's a big switch considering your whole career you spent at one big company. It was a big switch, but look, I've been one of these rare, uh, you know, people who spent 38 years, it's a lifetime, with one company. I've been extremely lucky because there was one, not one hour, where I was born or too frustrated. Of course, you, you get frustrated. I just felt that after 38 years, it was time to move on. Um, you know, I, I, I still had the, I, I was a little tired of the pressure and uh, the corporate life, but I still felt this huge passion about uh, learning, helping, and wanted to broaden my horizon, actually. So I said to myself, I'm not going to move to another executive role, because in a way I've done it, and I'm not 25 years old anymore, unfortunately. Uh, let's go very quickly. 
So I felt the need to help out, you know, a sort of altruistic side in me, maybe. So anyways, what I'm doing now, I set up my own roadmap, I have my own startup, I wanted to get back to my roots of entrepreneurs uh, in my family, uh, as I said uh, at the beginning of our discussion, and I said, okay, I'm going to focus on two industries, travel and tourism, which is a beautiful industry, um, you know, that makes the world better when it's done well, and then mobility, where also there are some big changes there. And I have three types of roles, always advisory, but some are actually pro bono. Uh, I just give back to society in a way. I chair an NGO and I'm, and I'm ambassador for a big travel body. I'm leading a working group on the smart city with a think tank that's fascinating, bringing private, public, large corporations and startups together to talk about that thing. Then I follow about 20 to 25 startups. It's a real pleasure because it's downloading experience. These young founders, they want to fast track and keep telling me, how did you do this when you were at Hertz? And it's quite good. Um, of course, I help them also by being an advisor to Drexstar because before becoming a partner, which I'm, I'm delighted about. And then, you know, I worked uh, with some private equity because there are a lot of things happening right now, especially after the pandemic. And finally, I'm on the board of two SPACs. So all of this is sort of advisory roles, but in different capacity. And as you just mentioned, Vitaly, I'm, uh, I'm delighted to be a partner to Drexstar. I think it's a great firm, and we are going to further build this mobility together, actually, this mobility practice where so much is happening, because those are fascinating times. It's a real revolution, which happened in front of, my, of our eyes. I don't want to miss it. I'd love to be part of it. That's why I made that change. Sounds great. And I want to come back to smart cities and SPACs in a second, but what do you think, uh, has COVID changed travel forever or will we go back to normal? And, and how do you think it's changed? I think it's, well, a couple of things. One, I think it's in the human DNA to want to travel. Travel is, you know, good travel. What I mean, real travel. I did travel myself. I, in fact, I, I didn't say that, but after, two years after I joined Hertz, I decided to leave. I quit and I went around the world for eight months almost like a gap year, if you will, just to understand the culture. And that really was, you talked about personal development, that was a big milestone in my personal development and meeting different cultures and being able to understand and interact with very different people, I think is a, one, it's a pleasure, it's powerful and it's necessary in today's world. So I think that kind of travel, actually, we're getting back to that now. Uh, what is changing in travel is people want experiences. Um, I hope that mass travel will be sort of behind us, if you will. So yes, there is pandemic demand. We see that very quickly. The first thing people want to do is to travel again. And, uh, you know, where, where the situation permits, uh, there is a huge activity there. Um, what may change for maybe forever is business travel. Uh, I think we've all learned to work like we are doing now. We're, we have this virtual uh, conversation. It's a real conversation but through virtual means. And, you know... Uh, Big deals have been made uh, remotely. Uh, I said I'm on the board of a SPAC. I never met my 
colleagues face to face it's when you think about it so maybe business travel is changing and i don't think it will get back as as it used to be and and, and i think from personal experience i think we're going to go to more sustainable travel and more experiences which is a good thing yeah i would agree with you i think uh the the scales are tipping towards leisure travel and people want to see the world work remotely and, and all those things and i am hearing a lot of people instead of coming back to the office they're instead quitting their jobs. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. When companies start to catch fire and blitz scale and look for capital to fuel that growth or look to find the right exit strategy, they often seek the counsel of investment bankers. At Drakestar Partners, we work with some of the leading companies in global tech on capital raises, M&A, corporate carve-outs, SPACs, and much more. And we're pretty good at it. Our team of over 100 technology sector experts across nine offices in six countries is comprised of not only career bankers, but experienced executive venture investors and technologists. Drakestar Partners is the number one ranked and fastest growing mid-market investment bank across US and Europe. While I focus on mobility and energy transition sector, along with all things Silicon Valley, my partners from the Pacific to the Atlantic and around the world lead in software, media, communications, and everything in between. Learn more about us at drakestar.com. So let's talk about smart cities. What does smart city mean to you? And talk a little bit about this uh, public-private corporate partnership model and uh, to make it all a reality. It's not easy to define a smart city, but, you know, if we could start from a blank sheet of paper, frankly, you know, everything would be connected. And I mean by smart the fact that most of what you do, what you use, is done through digital means and it's not just mobility i think the the the, the data suggests that mobility is you know, the biggest, call it vertical within a smart city, but actually, you know, buildings will be connected, health more and more will be connected, education. So when you think about when one lives in a city, a lot of what one can do can be through digital tools in a way. That's what I mean by smart city and the fact that everything gets connected. So when you talk about vehicle going, because today we're focusing on mobility, we spoke about connected vehicles, but everything else would be connected. Now we're talking about share parkings, we're talking about insurance by the day, we're talking about, uh, you know, everything which is attached to moving uh, will be smart. Uh, you have route optimization, and as we said before, I think multi-model on one app with your profile being registered in that app, that's quite smart, actually, and I think that's where the world, uh, the world is going. It is very clear to me and that it's got to be through collaboration. And today I believe, I, I deplore that it's still two silos. So everybody thinks we're their own universe, and I think there is a lack of collaboration. And at the same time, collaboration competition, actually. Why is that? Well, 
I think people look at their own interests, of course, and I think the, if I think about it, there are different models, but I think the, the, the political uh, leadership needs to take leadership <laughs> in this case and foster that collaboration, set standards. You can't have different standards, and that's where they come. I think the private sector will do a great job. Uh, I think they can collaborate together, even with public entities, but I think the political leadership needs to take the, the, this leadership role. And I hope it will happen, and I think it's starting to happen. Uh, I mean, you know, cities are congested, this climate change is, is a big worry, there's no choice anymore. In, in, if anything, we've got to accelerate. So I think finally this is coming, we see it coming, and we're going to see public, private, corporation, startups, investors, everybody will have a, a play in this um, think tank which where I'm leading this uh, this working group, we talk about these things. We talk about a bit what we ha we discussed already. You know how usage are changing, how the millennials are coming. What uh, what was the impact of COVID, which actually is a catalyst to certain of these changes. We talk about the need to change the infrastructure. We talk about data. We talk about cybersecurity. Then we talk about changes in business model. Who's going to finance this this whole thing? And this is a big topic, so it's not going to happen overnight. But I think uh, you know there are a lot of initiatives around the world, and we're trying to to benchmark and take some best practices. I think the cities are going to become smarter and smarter. Yeah, I agree with you. It, there's a lot of work to be done, and um, it's going to be very interesting where where we go in the next decades. Now. More recently, you've also been involved with SPACs, as you mentioned. Uh, two SPACs came out and recruited you to join them. Why has the transportation sector been such a focus for SPACs? Because I think SPACs are, so uh, as I mentioned, I think there is a real revolution taking place. And it involves so many players and some and, and, and a lot of innovation. So clearly everybody sees the potential here. But everybody also realizes that these are not business models that are profitable from day one. And therefore there needs to be an access to capital and a way and investors that are happy to to be in a long-term play. Now, you cannot just do that, but I just see that for institutional investors, for example, it's a good diversification. And, you know, if they, as they manage their portfolio, if they dedicate some of their, uh, you know, fund into SPACs, they have a long-term play with a huge potential. And I think that's where SPACs play a role. And that's why we see EV, which is not short-term, obviously. Certain marketplaces, we see things like drones, aviation, um, you know, which are today um, looking for SPACs. And I think it's a good solution. We, we know that the market is turbulent right now with SPACs, and there are reasons for that. But I'm actually quite confident that this will correct itself. When we talk about this sort of long-term play, this is not the type of investment that a VC or even a PE could do. So I, I agree with you. I think SPACs uh, in the post-SOX uh, compliance world are creating a really interesting alternative because for a long time after the kind of early 2000s uh, blow-ups, uh, for a long time, we had really constrained um, environment for, for companies to go public. So a lot of companies waited a lot longer. 
with SPACs, it's a little bit easier. They can go uh, they can go public essentially much earlier. So it is kind of a different product, different approach. Now, let me ask you the last question and very important question. You know, knowing what you know now, you've had uh, you've had an amazing career. Uh, you've done something that not many people are able to do, which is build an entire career from beginning to to running the company. You know, it's it's what books are written about. What career advice would you give to your teenage self starting out? Well, I, I would start by saying that I've been honestly very lucky. And, you know, I'm not sure I would change that many things from a career standpoint. I mean, no regret of sticking with a great company, an iconic brand, you know, B2B, B2C, emerging markets, traditional markets, different kind of ownership. It was a fantastic, it was multiple journeys within one journey. And I was privileged. And, and again, but if I had one thing to say here, you know, and that was by chance. In fact, I owe it to my mom. She found that job for me. She, I was coming back from the beach in Nice, uh, not knowing what to do with my life, and say, you know what, son, when you were small, you like cars, Hertz is recruiting, do me a favor, go and see them. I think that's going to be a good fit. And there was. She was, you know, it was guts and in instinct. But the point is, that was a company with great values. And I think in the end, it's the people. I know everybody says that. But, you know, does something you like with people you like to work with, I think is the panacea for success. So I think it's very important to choose company with the right value. You can stick with them for quite a long time. Another thing I would say I would do differently, I would take more risk. I would be bolder. I would go quicker. I probably have been too prudent. And in a world where, you know, things accelerate, it's better to take some risk because when you have the right parameter, the right team, the right fancies around you, it's not that risky in the end. And sometimes we're too risk adverse. I think the world is changing. The last thing I would say, though, you know, I'm reaching an age now. I'm going to be 65. I can't believe it. I feel like I'm 30 at best, or at most. And life goes very quickly, and it accelerates. You'll see, you're much younger than I am. It, it's, it's an amazing thing. Things go quicker and quicker and quicker. And I think the challenge is to think about this whole life in a holistic way and make sure you enjoy every piece of it. And my biggest challenge, I would say, is to balance my life and make sure that, you know, I enjoy what I do, I learn every day, but at the same time, I don't miss important pieces, which are more on the personal front. It's quite hard to balance life. So I would probably do a few things differently there uh, because it's, it's, it's hard to have this optimal balance. But what a beautiful um, you know, journey I had and um, I feel privileged, quite frankly, and privileged that I still meet great people like yourself, the team at Drake and, and others. All these startups is a fascinating world, quite frankly. That was our conversation with Michelle Tarid, partner at Drakestar and former group president at Hertz International. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to give us five stars in your favorite podcast platform and share with your friends. See you in the next one. And in the meantime, you can always find me at golem.net.